Thank you for tuning in to Conroe United Pentecostal Church today. We pray that this podcast is a blessing to you. If there is ever anything we can do for you, please email admin at conroeupc.org. With God, all things are possible. I have no doubt in my heart, my mind, and my spirit about his ability to take care of any and every circumstance. My trust is absolutely in him. I've chosen, I've chosen a life of faith. And I've chosen a life of trust, absolutely. And whatever, whatever comes our way, as a family, as a person, as a pastor, I have chosen, I have chosen to put my absolute trust and confidence in him. And uh, if calamity comes my way, I will trust I will accept the calamity. If a million dollars comes my way tonight, I will accept that as well. Whether it's the good or the bad, it rains on the just and the unjust. And absolutely, my trust and my faith and my confidence is in the Lord. But for just a few moments, I, I want to talk about a few things that the Lord cannot do. A few things the Lord cannot do. In Hebrews chapter 6 Verse number 18, we find a verse that, that is, um, I think, of incredible interest. There are two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. Can you say that with me? It is impossible for God to lie. He cannot lie. And if he's ever spoken to your life or given you a promise of any kind, this God of ours cannot lie. Tell somebody, he can't lie. You might lie and I might lie, but he can't lie. And the fact is, it is impossible for him to lie. Truth isn't his foundation. Truth is the core of whom and what he is. And he's absolutely truthful. And, and you find that every principle that he set in motion, it holds true. It is, if, if his principles did not hold true then you wouldn't have the confidence to walk across the room tonight because if every principle that he has doesn't hold true, then none of his principles will hold true. And then gravity wouldn't work and other things wouldn't work. And if sometimes in your life gravity worked and sometimes gravity didn't work, and then it's like hitting a dead spot with your phone. You say, well, if you hit a dead spot, you're breaking up. But if gravity breaks up, you're floating up. Okay, so God has set some... He has set some principles in motion that do not vary. And that is one of those is as simply he cannot lie. It is impossible for God to lie. And you understand more and more that, that he has placed the, he has placed all of nature in an exact place. And he holds all of nature in an exact place. And you know, simply by the tilting of the earth, uh, we, we are provided seasons simply by the way the earth tilts. And it tilts the same direction every year during the winter time. And it tilts the same direction every year during the summertime. And we get heat and, and, and we get cold. And it's, it's these, it's these absolute principles that, that hold fast and, and, and they hold true because every part of God is truthful. Every part of God is, is absolute. More important than the natural things, we have to understand that the peace of God is an absolute and it holds true. And the comfort of the Holy Ghost is an absolute that it holds true. And when he said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you, he wasn't lying. 
He didn't say that you wouldn't go through a dark time or a difficult place, but he said, I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. So when you go through a dark time or you go through that difficult place, you're not going by yourself. I will be with you. And so it's an absolute fact that God cannot, you cannot lie. And not only does God establish the fact that he can't lie, he hates it. He hates a liar. He hates those that, that, that are untruthful. I don't know about you, but, but my daddy used to tell me this. He said, son, um, don't lie to me about anything because if I ever realize that you're lying to me, I can't stand with you and I can't protect you. And so, and so we learned at an early age that, you know, the truth might hurt, but not having dad standing with us in certain circumstances was a lot worse than the punishment for, for, for not telling the truth. But Leviticus chapter 19, um, verse number 11 says, you shall not steal, neither shall you dear falsely, and neither shall you lie one to another. It is important to God that he doesn't lie and that you and I do not lie. And truth is absolutely important to him. He expects it from us because he commits it to us. He asks us for to be truthful because that's what he is, that is what he is to us. He is truthful. Can you tell somebody, God can't lie. It's impossible. It's impossible for God to lie. The next thing I want to talk about that God cannot do is it's very simple, but the Lord cannot heal someone who doubts that he will heal them. He he cannot work in the areas of of unbelief. At the pool of Bethsaida, he healed only one person. There were a lot of sick people there. And when he asked he asked if the man would like to be healed. The man, of course, responded and healing came. But there were many there at that moment that, that, were, that were healed. But the one who responded to him and said, yes, I would like to be healed. The Lord was able. It was, he was able to respond and bring healing. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 says it this way. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to believe him. He wants us to follow after him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Mark chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. Jesus comes to his hometown. And the Bible says that he couldn't do many miracles in his hometown because of their unbelief. He came prepared with the miraculous in his hand. He came to that place ready with the ability and the desire to touch them and to help them. But the scripture says he couldn't do many miracles due to their unbelief. Jesus cannot move and heal in areas where it's full of unbelief. That's the reason I want my faith to be wild. And and that's the reason that we have moments like we did last Sunday night when we endeavor to connect faith in the word of God and let something begin to happen and begin to blossom in the lives, in the lives of people. You remember when the young boy was full of the devil and he was throwing himself in the fire and throwing himself in the water and Jesus comes down the mountain. And, and when Jesus comes down the mountain, the father of the lad says, Lord, uh, I need you to, 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 to take the demons out of my son uh, because, you know, he, he's trying to drown himself. He's trying to burn himself. He's, he's hurting himself. And, and, and you, you remember the story. The Lord looked at the man and says, uh, if you can believe all things are, are possible. And, and the man looked at the Lord and, and the 
Lord looked at him in this moment of, of realization, this, this father looked at the Lord and said, Lord, I believe, but would you help my unbelief? This is a verse that I've shared many times, but I've not shared it of late. And I want you to realize that God wants to move in your life. He wants to move in your home. He wants to move in your finance. And he wants you to be able to have a trust and a confidence in him that he's going to take care of every part of your life. But you and I, so many times, we know God can do it, but we have a hard time connecting in our mind and our spirit that God will do this for me, or God can do this for me, or God is doing this for me. We know he can do it over there. We know he can do it in the third person, and we know he can do it in the second person, but can he do it in the first person? Can he Can he reach my house? Can he touch my check? But Can he touch my job? Can he touch my body? Can he heal my family? Can he take care of my circumstance? But the Lord looked at that man that day and says, if you can believe, uh, all things are possible. And that man looked at the Lord and said, Lord, I believe, uh, but would you help my unbelief? I think uh, that God would like nothing more to reach into somebody's heart and life and say, unbelief, uh, I'm going to cover you with my blood. And I'm going to release something in this life. And I'm going to release something in this church. And I'm going to release something in the homes of this body. That is just so incredible. The Lord cannot touch or heal someone who doubts that he will. Third thing I want to quickly, quickly talk about it, and that is uh, he cannot make a, a better man, uh, uh, he, he cannot make a, us uh, or a man to be better than he, if he is not willing. He can't change us. Uh, he can't make us better if we're not willing to be changed. He will not override the will of man and he will offer every benefit and he will offer every, every instance of his love and of his mercy and his grace. But he cannot make somebody to be something that they will not be. Amen. You just have to, have to face that. You remember when Jeremiah, when he went to the potter's house and the clay was placed on the potter's wheel and that potter, he, he made something, wasn't happy with it. So he crushed it up and, and he made it again. And when, and when it wasn't going good, he threw that clay away and had to start all over. And I, I suggest that, that tonight that the Lord is, is very interested in making sure that our lives come in alignment, but he's also very, very interested in making sure that you and I are better than we've ever been before. He, he wants a nature change in every man and every woman. When we're filled with the Spirit, when we're filled with the Holy Ghost, there comes in us a newness of life, and, and that change has got to start deep in the very core of a man or a woman or a young person, and it's got to begin to emanate and flow out of him. But if we're not willing to change, God cannot change us. If we're not willing to give up an addiction, God's just not going to deliver you from an addiction that you don't want to be delivered from. I prayed for somebody one time that they asked me, Pastor, pray for us, pray for me so I get delivered from my, from my cigarettes. And I, I did. I gave them the good old Holy Ghost prayer. Boy, I gave, them the, I gave them the kind of prayer that a Pentecostal preacher likes to do around a busy altar. I got one hand on the front of the head, one hand on the back of the head, and I was saying, God, deliver. Deliver. And while I was praying for the person to say, Lord, deliver them from this habit that they've got, the little person said, Oh, Lord, please deliver me from this. But you know how much that I love this. I love it so much, God, that I want to be delivered, but don't take it away. You know what I'm saying? And God cannot deliver you from something you don't want to be delivered from. 
Amen. He, he can't do it. Uh, and so, and so don't, don't ask him to deliver you for something that you love a lot. Uh, but you've got to get sick of sin. You've got to get sick of hell. You've got to get sick of the devil. You've got to get sick of all that stuff and say, God, I've got to be different. And he will change you. He'll come into your life with newness of spirit. And he will transform. He will transform. You remember King Saul. King Saul was called of God. He was unchosen. And he was anointed. And he was successful. But he had a flaw. And that he kept. He, he just. He couldn't come into complete alignment with the Lord. And before it was over with. He had a disobedient streak. He had an unsubmitted streak. And because of his disobedience. And because of his lack of submission to the man of God. And, and to the things of God. He lost his kingdom. And, and, and he, he lost a. He lost so, so many things that he shouldn't have had to lose if he could have just worked on his spirit. If he could have just said, God, I am sick of being the, the way that I am. Change my nature. Change me, oh God. I give it to you. And, and when we do that, he's ready to step in and transform. But until we're willing to be changed, he can't change you. It's kind of like the fat boy who didn't realize he was fat and he didn't need to go on a diet. And he just kept, he kept growing and growing and growing. You know who I'm talking about. You know that guy. He probably knows somebody in your life that way. Number four, the thing that the Lord cannot do, and this, this one may be a little bit more temporal than the other, but God can't bless somebody who doesn't tithe. We want the blessings of God in our life, but we don't want God to have his part of our finances. And so, so maybe I, I simply would suggest that if you think back to the parable of the talents, and that there was the one fellow who, who didn't put, put his talents to work, and the other, he, he, he went to work with his talent, and God looked at the two, the, 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 the master looked at the two when he came back, and he said, I can trust this one, and I cannot trust this one. And so he took what the one that he couldn't trust, he took it from him, and gave it to the one he can trust. God learns that when we're tithers, he can trust us. Sure, he's quiet. Amen. The fact is, God, God wants you to be blessed. Uh, but when we don't participate in this process, and he wants to move, and he wants these things to happen in your life. But when, but when we don't come into alignment with his principle, then he can't touch us. And he can't bless us. And he literally can't because when we do not tithe, this Malachi tells us that we bring a curse into our lives. And how can God bless the curse? And so some things are our responsibility to take care of. Number five, the thing that God cannot do is God cannot forgive a man who will not repent. God cannot forgive a man who does not repent. Remember the, remember, do you remember the shortest verse in the scripture where it says Jesus wept in John chapter 11? And, uh, and what was going on there was Jesus had come to the edge of the mountain looking down on Jerusalem. And, and there was a, quite a dialogue that, that if you read it, and it said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long have I wept for you? And he starts talking because he had a burden. He loved them, and, and he wanted them to realize who and what he was and, and all of these things. But, but, but he, he, he said he could not touch them at, the, at, this, at this moment. He stood, and he looked down at the city and, and wept over them. He cannot save you. Without your consent. Every man must repent. There comes a point you can't trust on grandma's prayers. You can't trust on mama's or daddy's prayers. It comes time that you've got to have a come to Jesus moment in your life. And there comes a moment you've got to get on your face. You've got to bend your knee. You say, God, have mercy in my life. I need your mercies. I need your grace. And this is now between me and you, God. 
I'm not here in this service today because my mama made me. I'm not here because I was forced to. I'm not here because I was in a, I, I was in a situation that made me be here. No, it's time I come face to face with you, Jesus. And I'm asking you to have mercy in my life. And I'm asking for forgiveness. Uh, the rich young ruler came to the Lord and had a discussion with him. And the Lord told him how he could be saved. But that young man could not, could not submit to what God asked him to do that night. And he turned and walked away there. And the Bible says he walked away very, very sorrowful. And, and here's the thing. Jesus allowed him to walk away. He will welcome you into his presence freely, but if you choose to not repent, he will step back. He will not constrain you. He will not force you. He will not tie you up. He will allow you to walk away from his presence. Uh, help us, Lord. I don't ever want to walk away. Uh, the old song says, just let me walk with you, Jesus. Uh, I don't want to walk away from him. I don't want to drift away from his presence. Uh, and when my spirit gets out of alignment, I hope I can be submitted enough to God that I can bend my knee and say, God, I am sorry. Forgive this rotten, wretched, fat preacher. I got to have you, Lord. Have mercy in my life. God can't forgive us if we, if we, don't, if we don't repent. Remember Hebrews, and I believe about chapter number 11 or 12, there's a verse says that Esau found no repentance. So there was no place of repentance for Esau. Uh, there, there was no place of repentance, though he saw it carefully with tears. He was begging. He was crying. He was boohooing at that moment of his life. But, but he, he couldn't find repentance. Uh, he couldn't find the forgiveness. And, and I suggest what was going on in Esau's life at this time is, is he was simply sorry that he had gotten caught and sorry he had lost some things in his life. Uh, but he was not repentant to the Lord. And he, he was not repentant to the Lord for the sake of his own soul and for his relationship with God. And sometimes uh, when we get caught, uh, when our hand is in the cookie jar, we cry because we got caught, uh, but we're not repentant. Because we want God to come and we want God to allow us to come back in alignment with him. Do you think about it? I mean, we're losing things and things are, things are bad and, and things are not good. So we cry for that reason and we repent for that reason. But it's really not repentance. The Bible says godly sorrow worketh repentance. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. And so God cannot forgive someone who will not repent. There is a thing called an unpardonable sin. And God cannot cross this. And you say, well, that's when somebody blasphemes. And that's when somebody is, 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 is speaking against the Lord and speaking against the Holy Ghost and, and blasphemes. Let me simply explain to you what blasphemy is. Let me tell you, uh, let me tell you explain to you maybe in street language what, 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 what blasphemy or the unpardonable sin is in our life. And it's very simple. The only sin God cannot forgive is the sin that you refuse to repent. It's that simple. I mean, the sin you refuse to repent, he can't forgive. But you can have done the most horrible of things. You could have spoken the most horrible of words. You could have destroyed the most innocent of life. You could have done anything of the worst of things that we can imagine on our sliding scale of sin. Well, in all reality, okay, you know, just the smallest of white lies is, is, is no less degree sin than the, most, than the most degradated moral thing you can imagine. It's all the same in God's book. Sin is sin. And hell will be just as hot for the, for the white lie sinner as it is for the, for the, uh, for the moral or, 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 the, or, the, or the pedophile type sinner. It, it is all the same in God's book. 
Now you and I, we, we categorize sin, but God, God does not. And so, so Esau couldn't find repentance because he didn't repent correctly. And that unpardonable sin is simply when you refuse to repent. And you've seen people who come into the presence of God who, who, will, who will blatantly refuse to submit themselves to God. It's as if they come into the presence of God and they thumb their nose at him. That is what God cannot forgive. But God cannot resist the tears of a repenting man. And God cannot resist the heart of a remorseful person. And when you come and kneel down and you say, God, I am sorry, he will Forgive. Some of you got some ugly stuff in your past, but God forgave you. Amen. Thank God for the blood. Uh, thank God for red blood that covers black sin and makes our life whiter than snow. Thank God for that. But some of you got some stuff from the past that's shameful and ugly, but the blood came and, and he, he covered your life. Uh, but, but if you hadn't repented, that blood wouldn't have been a covering in your life. You've got to repent. And God cannot overcome your lack of repentance. He can't. He can't. So if you want that, you must repent. And the sixth thing that I want to quickly talk about, and that is God cannot welcome anyone into heaven who is not saved. He cannot, he cannot welcome you into heaven if, if, if you've not, if not been filled with the Spirit. I mean, that is the keys to the kingdom. The new birth message is the keys to the kingdom. Let's, let me read from Luke chapter number 13. Then said one of them to the Lord, are there, are there few that be saved? And the Lord said unto them, strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and have shut the door and you begin to stand without and to knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence you are. There's going to come that moment when mercy and grace ends and judgment begins. And when he comes and, and he takes the bride back to his heavenly kingdom, uh, there is a moment of no return. And when he closes that door, that door is closed. To us. Uh, verse number 26. Uh, then shall you begin to say, We have eaten and we've drank in thy presence, uh, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me, you are workers of iniquity. You know, we like this picture and this modern pseudo-religious thing that's available for us today that the arms of God are open wide and, and he forgives anything and everybody and, and really you don't have to repent to come into the presence of God. And it's just a happy, clappy, sloppy, agape kind of love from the Lord. And you know what? There's some truth to that because you can live like the devil and you can repent and come to his presence. You can be on the last 15 seconds of your life. You can be, on, you can be in the closing moments of your life and repent and God will forgive you. He will. He will. But you're going to have to experience that new birth. And he's going to say, I tell you, verse number 27, I don't know where from whence you are. Depart from me. You're a worker of iniquity. Then verse 28 says it this way. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, understand the weeping. But do you realize the knowledge and the pain of knowledge that you've missed out and there is no hope for you, that's when teeth begin to gnash. That's when the pain is so bad, you just got to do... That's when, you know, when the cutter cuts 
his, his, her, his or her body. And they, they say psychologically the reason people cut their flesh is because there's so much pain on the inside. They feel like if they can cut a little bit and blood can come out, the pain will get out. And they tell us this through studies. But when there's that weeping and gnashing of teeth, there's going to be so much pain on the inside and so much hurt and so much ugliness on the inside. When somebody realizes that they have missed out on the rapture, that there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. They're going to cry and they're going to weep and they're going to gnash and they're going to claw and they're going to cut and tear at their own flesh. Because of the pain of that knowledge. Matthew 7 said it this way. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name cast out devils? And in thy name have we done many wonderful works? This sounds like religious folk. This sounds like people down at the Pentecostal church. Lord, we've cast out devils. Lord, we've done things in your name. We've done many wonderful works in your name. And the Lord's going to say, then will I profess unto them, verse number 23, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. It is important for you and I to have an humble spirit and for you and I to have a submitted spirit. And we live in a day when people do not want submission in their life at all. They don't want to be submitted to God. They don't want to be submitted in any way of their, of their life. And when, when that happens, there is that opportunity for us to become separated from God. And if you and I are not willing to repent and humble ourselves, we have no promise of tomorrow. These are the six things that God can cannot do but let me tell you something when you feel pricked in your heart and convicted in your spirit it's time to repent and it's time to draw closer to god and Acts chapter 2 verse 37 after peter preached he, they were they heard these words and they were pricked in their heart and they said men and brethren what must we do peter simply said repent be baptized be filled with the holy ghost and, and i'm rushing the clock because i know there's a social thing here in just a moment but you must realize uh, if you can feel the conviction in your heart and the pricking in your spirit and you can feel there needs to be a, a rebirth of conviction in the church today let me say it again there needs to be conviction in the church not condemnation but conviction and when we do some things and when we cross some lines, there needs to be moments of conviction that touches us because we need to be convicted of some things. And the more you pray, the more you fast. Conviction will work in your life. And the more you pray and fast and seek the face of the Lord, as we've done the last few days, conviction will begin to rise. And you will have to have less rules in your life because now you'll be operating with relationship. And you'll know you do what you do because you please him. And you're convicted if you're not in relationship and in oneness with him. And so then, so then you change your life, you change your habits, you change your patterns because you're in relationship with him. But so when you realize this, that these are some things that God cannot do, there's also simply something God can do. And God can keep his promises to you. God will keep his promises to you, whatever they are. If he's spoken in your life, if you can go to the word of God and find where he's given a specific promise to you, you can rest in a confidence that he will never forsake you and he will never go back on his word and he will forgive you and he'll be quick and just to embrace you and he'll be quick to allow the blood and the mercies of Jesus to cover your life. Second Corinthians chapter one says this, verse 20, for all the promises of God in him are yea and in him a man under the glory of God by us if god promised it to you it is yea and amen 
That ought to make you excited when you think about the fact, oh, pastor, you've told us six things God can't do, and all of them were kind of negative. But let me simply tell you, the promises of God are so powerful and so wonderful. You don't have to worry about the negative side of life if you can walk in contrition and walk in newness of life and walk in his spirit, walk in his word and walk in his light. When you do that, you have this confidence of knowing he's promised me something and his promises are yea and amen and so you can worship with confidence you can come boldly into the presence of God with confidence because he spoke to my life and his promises are yea and amen he said I won't leave you and forsake you so when you feel those pressures of life you have that promise and so you know I am not by myself I don't walk this path alone he is with me his rod and his staff it comforts me it may be a valley it may be a dark place but I am not by myself he promised and I know his promises are yea and amen he is there and he will keep his word in my life your spouse may lie to you your friends may lie to you your co-workers your boss may lie to you but this God of ours cannot lie to you and when he makes you a promise and he speaks into your life and he says I will be with you you have a confidence in God that absolutely he is there he's a healer He's a provider. He's a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. You're not by yourself when you have him in your life. And so I know that I've talked about six things tonight that God can't do. But just remember this. All of that is so small when you compare it to the greatness of walking and being in a submitted relationship with Jesus Christ.